Welcome to Click, Treat, Repeat. This is a horse-focused podcast discussing positive reinforcement training, equine management and welfare, and other horse-related topics. So let's get started. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the difference between tactile cues and pressure and just kind of exploring that topic. So do you want to start since this is your idea? Sure. The first thing I think we should discuss is the difference between cues and commands, because that's something that I thought about a lot while reading all the articles I found. And people refer to pressure and release-based training commands as cues, but for me, a command is more something where like there's an underlying or else, so to speak. So if they don't do the behavior, something is going to happen to a greater degree. And then for me, a cue is like they can do it if they want, but they don't necessarily have to. But if they do it, they'll get reinforcement for it. I just think that's really good to bring up because there is a difference. Yeah, I think that was a really good way of explaining it. Like a cue is just sort of communicating an ask to the horse, like for them to get reinforcement, like you said, whereas a command is like, you have to do this. So yeah, I think that's definitely a good thing to clarify. And I mean, some people will use them interchangeably, but I feel like language is really important. And like, if you think of command, typically you think of like, military or police work like it's very strict whereas a cue is just an opportunity for them to perform the behavior and then get the reinforcement yeah that's so true I feel like even sometimes when I'm not thinking about my language I will like use the word cue when I'm talking about negative reinforcement or something and so yeah I definitely think that's something that people sometimes use interchangeably because in the world they kind of are used interchangeably so we have to try to be really aware of our language and try to be very clear about what we're saying. Exactly. And that's also why I'll use tactile cue rather than like a pressure cue because people will use cue when they're referring to something taught with negative reinforcement. Yeah. And then I think like we, this was pretty much explained, but cue is typically used in positive reinforcement and command is more used in, in negative reinforcement. I think that was explained, but I guess just to kind of like say it more directly, that's, I guess, if we're being specific with the language, that's kind of the distinction there. Yeah. And the Willing Equine has a couple articles I found talking about cues and pressure. And honestly, most of the ones I found were on writing because typically when people start positive reinforcement, they're thinking, well, how do I bring this to written work? How can I do this without using pressure and release and negative reinforcement? I think it's important to acknowledge that there's different kinds of pressure. So like someone touching your shoulder is different than someone slapping you in the face. It's a way different thing. (laughs) So teaching a rain cue you might present a target and start teaching them to turn and then you can eventually fade out that target and begin adding actual rain pressure, light rain pressure, not like pulling their face. And then you can start to just have that rain cue. Whereas with negative reinforcement, you would hold the rain pressure and then wait for them to release it on their own. And then that would be how you train that. Yeah, exactly. I think that's really getting at like another difference between cues and commands where a cue is being, the behavior is being taught a lot of the time before the cue is you know introduced so the behavior is gonna already be pretty strong before you're introducing the cue whereas with negative reinforcement it's the pressure is kind of causing the behavior to happen so there's definitely a difference in how the structure of training goes with each one yeah and then a lot of people when I've had discussions about it will say well like why don't you just do the pressure and release and just skip the whole breaking things down and rewarding the horse for it when you can do that it does work obviously it's a learning quadrant but 
you're not teaching them what to do, really. You're kind of just teaching them what not to do, or you're just possibly making them frustrated or confused or not breaking it down enough. I feel like it's easier to lump behaviors when you're using negative reinforcement. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. And I think also a lot of our goal is to not really apply aversive pressure to the horse if possible and to make sure that the horse is is not feeling like we are punishing them or anything like that. So I think teaching the cue before or teaching the behavior before you add the cue is a really good way of doing that. Because I mean, another thing is like, if you look at the reaction that the horse is having to the behavior, that's a lot of the time how you can tell if it's being taught like in an aversive way or in a way using positive reinforcement. Like if the horse is showing stress signs when you're applying pressure, then that's definitely more of like an aversive pressure and release type of pressure. Whereas if the horse isn't showing those stress signs, even really subtle stress signs, then that's more of a sign that it's not aversive pressure. So I think it's kind of this focus on if there is pressure with the tactile cue, it just be very light, kind of like you mentioned before. Yeah. And I think people will often just kind of skip to the cherry on top type of training where they'll apply the pressure and then after that click and treat and that will work for a lot of horses but you have to think about why they're performing the behavior in the first place because if you're adding pressure and they're releasing it they're getting reinforced by that not so much the click and treat like they'll get reinforcement from that as well but the primary reinforcer in that situation is the relief of pressure Yeah, exactly. And then that could kind of go to what I shared a post to on our story yesterday, I think about poisoned cues where the horse is kind of expecting both positive and negative reinforcement from a certain activity. And so they kind of have like a conflicting understanding of what type of reinforcement they're going to get from performing a behavior. And so that can lead to a lot of stress and confusion for the horse. It can be really, really tricky to mix reinforcements like that. And it can be effective, but it's it's just too complicated for everyone, I think. <laughs> yeah, definitely complicated. <laughs> I think people are quicker to go to the cherry on top or just use negative reinforcement because it appears to happen quicker. But I feel like it's a lot more reliable to use mostly positive reinforcement and the behaviors will stick longer. Plus, there's the added bonus of that it's fun for everyone and really low stress. Yeah, that's so true. I think another thing that can be tough too sometimes is if the horse has already been trained in the past, like before you started working with them with negative reinforcement. And so if you are kind of introducing tactile cues that mimic the negative reinforcement cues or the negative reinforcement commands, see, I'm already (laughs) mixing up the words, but yeah. So if they've already been trained using negative reinforcement, then I think it can be possibly a little bit more difficult to get those tactile cues to work in a way that you're making sure is not aversive like it definitely can be done but it is probably more complicated when they have those associations with like rain pressure and whatnot being commands from their negative reinforcement training yeah that's definitely true with wonder and targeting he wasn't very fond of my target stick at first because it's just a whip with a pool noodle taped onto it basically so he had to actually get conditioned to that before I could use it as a target. I think that's true for ridden cues and things that you would want to look traditional, but are training it with positive reinforcement with the horse that's a crossover horse. Yeah, definitely. I think my horses didn't have really too much of a reaction to my target, even though it's also a whip with like a foam ball on it, because they hadn't really been trained with negative reinforcement in a while or just worked with in general. So I think they were kind of not like totally a fresh slate because they had definitely had training before 
like Mimi was a show pony and Ren was a police horse. So they clearly had training, but it had just been so many years since they were trained that I think it just, there wasn't any like recent reinforcement history with the whip or anything. So it was easier to kind of bring back in. That's awesome. That's kind of how Phoenix was too, because I don't think he really had much experience at all with handling and training, which was bad in some ways, but really good in others. So he didn't really have any fear of like anything I introduced to him. That's really good. Yeah. I think it's Alexandra Curlin that says, and I think I actually might have said it before, but she says something to the effect of riding is just training while standing or training while sitting and groundwork is just training while standing. Like they're the same (laughs) thing. It's just you're a different position. So I think that's important to acknowledge too, because you want to train the behavior on the ground first most of the time. I think that's usually most effective. And then you transfer it to the saddle and then you can use leg or hand cues with reins or your feet, whatever, whatever you want to use. Some people like it to look traditional, others don't. I see a lot of people riding with just target sticks. That's perfectly fine too. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I think that is a good point. And I think, I guess like the usefulness of having it look similar to negative reinforcement training is like if you're having people possibly handle your horse in like minor ways that are, that person's not going to be handling them with positive reinforcement. So obviously they're not going to be getting reinforced. So it's not really going to be the same, but if they're kind of used to a certain type of pressure, like if they have to be led with halter and lead rope and whatnot, if you are able to kind of train that using tactile cues and pressure, then that can make it kind of an easier experience for the horse possibly to have to be handled using negative reinforcement if they're not really used to that. Yeah, for sure. I don't remember what article it was that I read, but One of the ones I read this morning had something about that too. And I think there is value in teaching cues that look like traditional horsemanship if you're not like having the horse at your own house or if it's a horse you might potentially sell or something like that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's actually something that I could probably use and think more about working with my horses and see if I can like practice some of that more because I haven't ever really like worked on that or thought about that with them and I don't really use tactile cues with them. Like I occasionally do use negative reinforcement with them like when Joe is there and like that's kind of just the situation since I don't own them but if I could kind of like work on doing that as tactile cues that would be really good. Yeah, and that's what I do with leading. Like I taught most of their leading behaviors with a target and then I transfer it to a tiny bit of pressure on the lead rope and the same for teaching Wonder how to turn with rain cues. And I did the same thing. I used a target and then started adding the rain pressure. And it looks very traditional, but it's not. It was taught with positive reinforcement. Really tactile versus negative or aversive pressure is all about what the horse thinks and how it was taught in the first place. Yeah, that's so true. And then this also, I guess, shows the importance of understanding the really subtle language signs and calming signals. So read the book Language Signs and Calming Signals by Raquel Dreisma. And also we have a couple of episodes that we did on body language. So yeah, definitely that's something that you need to understand really well if you want to be using tactile cues and making sure that the horse isn't finding it aversive. Breaking it down is your best bet to make it as minimally stressful as possible. And then also being extra cautious with horses that may have been abused or mistreated or just used a lot of punishment-based training on because they're going to be more sensitive. Yeah, that's true. And I guess along that line, do you think there are certain horses that tactile cues 
wouldn't be a good idea for like horses that were abused or had those type of situations? Or do you think that any horse could be, you know, trained through really slow steps and really breaking it down to kind of be counter conditioned to that and then find it not aversive? I think if you really broke it down, most horses could handle it, but I guess it depends on the individual because ultimately they decide, not us. I haven't really worked with a lot of abused horses. There was one I was going to buy before I got Phoenix who I put the saddle on her and she started like charging towards me and rearing to stomp on me. So (laughs) with her, (laughs) yeah, I still kind of want to go back and take her, but not in a position to do that. But with her, I think it'd be really, really important to break it down to like, even just like moving a hand towards her and rewarding for that because something as simple as having a saddle pad and a saddle barely cinched on her was way too much. Wow. Yeah, that's that's crazy. That would definitely take a lot of breaking down and needing to really take things slow. Yeah, for sure. That was an interesting horse. <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> There's a horse at the barn that I am occasionally going to fill in for that is a rescue. And he has been there for about a year and he's doing a lot better, thankfully. But He still doesn't really want to be touched by humans at all. He apparently will kind of let his owner touch him and she's been starting to work with him a little bit. But like when I tried to pet him or call him to come over, he was not at all interested. He wouldn't even eat hay by the gate if I was standing by the gate. So he was like really waiting for humans to get away and not be in his space. And he also has like a horrible scar on his face and he has a little almost like growth looking thing on his nostril, which I'm not sure if that is somehow an injury or if it's just kind of a natural birthmark that he has, but he definitely has a really bad scar on his face. And it's just so sad to see horses like go through such terrible things. And I hope that if I work there more, I can kind of get to know him a little better and see if he'll eventually let me pet him at all or anything. And if not, that's fine. But yeah. (laughs) Even just getting him to eat hay around you would be awesome. Yes. (laughs) Horses like that, I think, probably benefit the most from positive reinforcement. Obviously, it works for all horses, but we want them to think we're good, not something scary or something that's going to make them run around in circles or whatever. And that horse actually reminds me a lot of how Wonder was, but a little more severe. But there were times where I'd have to just actually sit down in the middle of the pasture and wait for him to even look at me. And it would take hours sometimes. Like horses like that, they really need that extra help. Even if you're going to do traditional training eventually, I think bringing the positive reinforcement in at the start is a really good idea. Yeah, I think so too. It's so sad that there's so many horses that end up like this. Even like, I guess the horse that I'm talking about was like a pretty severe abuse case, but even for horses that you know, have owners that think they're taking good care of them and whatnot, we still end up with these really shut down horses that don't want to be around humans and don't see humans as positive. And that's just really sad because like we do this as a hobby for fun. Well, most of us do. Some people do it as a career, but in general, it's supposed to be like a positive thing for everybody. And it's really sad that it's usually not. It is. And it sucks that it's mostly because of misinformation because like all animal training, there's no regulations really The horse training, I feel like, is worse. Like dog training, there's at least organizations you can be certified through. You're not required to, but that's an option. For horse training, there's like a few universities, and that's about the extent. And then the IABC has something now, but like it's really, really small. It's not something most people do. They just learn from someone else and then say they're a trainer. They don't really understand the psychology a lot of the time. Yeah, that's so true. I heard 
the other day um I just do a lot of you know horse related things with a lot of different people and I heard somebody basically talking about how when the horse starts listening you want to keep the pressure at the same spot that it's at for like negative reinforcement and I was just listening to that and I was like oh no like if the horse is doing it you really are gonna want to decrease that pressure and kind of pull off the horse and let the horse know that they're getting released for doing the right thing and I was just like oh (laughs) this person is like a professional but they don't understand learning theory or like how negative reinforcement works yeah, it's really stressful and really unfortunate because these are people that other people look up to and get their information from. And then we're presenting scientific information, things that have been studied and have actual evidence, and it's just being disregarded. Yeah, I mean, I didn't say anything in that situation because I was just not really in a place where I felt like it would be taken positively or I didn't feel like I really had any say in what was going on. So I just didn't say anything, but I was definitely thinking like, oh my gosh, that's not great. (laughs) That's like the opposite of what you're supposed to do. Yeah, (laughs) I guess at least they didn't say like increase the pressure when the horse is doing the right thing, but still. (laughs) True, it could be worse. Still not great though. The unregulated animal training is a serious issue. I was listening to a podcast yesterday that's just about scientists as a whole, like each episode is a different scientist. And the host brought on a trainer who's not certified dog trainer. He literally said on the podcast that he doesn't want to get a certification because he doesn't want those people to get money because they're not professionals in the field. But oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But neither is he technically. And also, like, Karen Pryor Academy is literally owned by Karen Pryor, who is a pioneer in training. So it's just, it stresses me out the things that professionals that don't have a true education say. Yeah, that that's pretty wild. I can't believe people would really think that. I mean, like, the other day I was talking to my mom about how, like, one day in the future I might want to do training or whatnot, and she was like, don't you have to have some type of like certification to do that? And I was like, nope, (laughs) you just do it. (laughs) Yeah, it's really unfortunate. That's why I struggle calling myself a trainer because like I am working on my education, but I don't have anything that's like actually telling people this is what I do. This is what I am, but it's just not really something that exists. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I mean, it's kind of not good for people who are looking for a trainer too, because in general, like there are some things like you said, like IABC and stuff like that, where if you find a trainer who's certified through them, like they're probably a decent trainer. But a lot of the time, there's just not really a good way to tell if the trainer is really good or not, other than if you like know them or can talk to other clients that they have or things like that. Like I, if I was looking for a trainer for my horses or for any animals, really, I would be like really wary of it because there's just not like the certification is a good way to know that they have knowledge and they have done the things that they need to do to get certified. But if, if they don't, it's kind of hit or miss. Cause I do know a lot of really good trainers who aren't certified under any organization and they're still really good trainers. It's just hard to know that. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, With any animal training, you should always be asking your potential trainer like a million of questions, make it like an interview, basically, but it's even hard to break that down to knowing who to contact at all in the first place. That's just a big issue. 
Yeah. And I know like I'm always very nervous to criticize other people's methods, especially if I'm going into their space. Like I don't want to go into their space and then criticize what they're doing. But at the same time, like if I'm looking for a trainer or a boarding barn or something like that, then like I'm looking for a service basically. And if I'm going to be paying for a service, then I want to make sure that it's going to fit what I want. But I also don't want to be critical. So it's very stressful. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Click Treat Repeat. Feel free to check us out on Instagram at Click Treat Repeat Pod. You can find Jen at Genuine Equine and myself at Bonafide.bt. We upload new episodes every Monday and hope to see you then. Happy training! <laughs>